heroes, welcome to Modifier. I'm your host, Megan Dornbrock. Hey there, heroes. I said when this show started that I wanted to make accessibility a recurring theme, since there's so much to cover and it's so important in every aspect of games. This week, I'm so happy to have Acer and Megan Tolentino, two of the awesome folks behind the Redacted Files and Firefly podcast Actual Plays. Acer is a blind gamer, as well as an instructor for assistive technology, so this episode focuses on the challenges and tools associated with visual disabilities, from playing, to GMing, to facilitating a massive con game. Let's get to the show. I'm joined this week by Megan and Acer Tolentino, who you may know them from a number of podcasts or (laughs) games or projects around the internet, so why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Hello, I'm Acer. I'm Megan. Uh, we run the Redacted Files podcast, and then we're also on the Firefly podcast, where Acer GMs. Awesome. So that that's still a, like a lot of podcasts, a lot yeah. of games going on. <laughs> and you're active on Twitter, and I saw you were like running games at a convention recently. Yeah, we really love gaming. We mostly view the Redacted Files as a way to convince people to come play with us so that we can get our fix on. <laughs> and to expense gamings. Yeah. (laughs) That's perfect. I need that excuse. Hmm. (laughs) Cool. So I talked about accessibility. The very first episode of Modifier was our accessibility episode with Elsa Henry. And it's something that I have wanted to come back to. It is an issue very important to me in in my day-to-day life and is something that I, I don't think we talk about enough in the gaming space. Um, so I am very fortunate to have the two of you on because Acer, you do all of these things that you do with a visual disability. And if, if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about what's going on there. So I was born with glaucoma, which means that uh, I always had trouble uh, to one degree or another uh, with, uh, with vision. And as I grew older, my sight began to deteriorate. Uh, first, I was uh, they started to become blurrier and then dimmer, and eventually, uh, as can happen when you have glaucoma, the uh, interocular pressure goes up in your eyes, and uh, it becomes necessary uh, to remove them. Uh, I had my right eye removed um, while I was a law student, and uh, that wasn't fun. <laughs> no, but. Uh, Got me out of class for a couple weeks. <laughs> uh, That's nice. That was nice. Um, <laughs> ultimately, uh, I still have my left eye, which means I still have some light and uh, motion perception. Mm. But uh, functionally, I am uh, effectively blind uh, as far as you know, most standards for that sort of thing go. Uh, I can tell when cool. uh, lights are on, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, if the sun is out, <laughs> in a general sense. Um, yeah, I, I, um, that, that's, that's, um, uh, I have, uh, experienced all of my gaming, uh, in that context. I have never actually, uh, sat down and, uh, read a character sheet, uh, visually or, okay. Um, and, uh, you know, experience, uh, gone through the, the whole tabletop experience with sites. So, um, Actually, the loss of sight uh, was something that prompted me to go into gaming. Oh, interesting. That was actually part of my next question. <laughs> um, so so what is it about 
gaming that became appealing with the loss of sight? So I considered myself a fairly avid uh, PC gamer um, mm. to the extent I was able to participate in that activity. Uh, I, um, uh, you know, just as uh, my range of vision diminished, my choice of genre sort of uh, changed. Uh, I went from playing first-person shooters to <laughs> third-person shooters to... Uh, real-time strategy games to turn-based strategy games. Um, mm-hmm. As uh, yes, my Twitch reflexes started to go down a bit, but um, yeah. uh, ultimately, uh, you know, I, I still wanted to engage in that sort of interactive entertainment and sort of, and uh, through a couple of different uh, actual play podcasts, actually discovered, hey, you know, it's actually possible to tell more of the story that I wanted to tell in this medium than it ever was in. Uh, you know, sort of set piece uh, entertainment. So uh, it actually was something that was really attractive to me as a, a, an exercise in uh, imagination and creativity. And that's where we are today. Awesome. Was the podcasting aspect something that was appealing to you to, to pursue from the start? Or did that kind of come later? Um, the very first game I ever played uh, was recorded. And it was a very long time, actually, before I played in a game that was not recorded, because uh, the gaming group I first connected with was uh, interested in podcasting. So, um, okay, that was uh, something Megan uh, was a part of, and uh, she now runs the podcast <laughs> and the rest of my life. <laughs> very cool. She is a benevolent dictator. Oh, good. <laughs> That's important. So you're running this podcast. Uh, is it a is it a game that you're running for people in person, or the or is it a like a remote game that you so, play? Uh, we play largely through Google Hangouts and over okay. ZenCaster. Um, hey. And we play over Hangouts and ZenCaster for the most part. Um, we have engaged in a couple of in person games, but I'd actually been gaming for a year and a half before I played my first in person game. No wait, okay. two years. Hmm. Two yeah. years before I played my in-person game. First oh, wow. Game. Um, so it was all uh, all over uh, video and audio chat, uh, sometimes Roll20 also, uh, although that, that was an experience I wasn't so fond of. <laughs> not, it's not as accessible. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, so that, that's that, that's my experience. Uh, we The first game I, um, uh, I GM'd in person was a con game, and... Uh, and then we've, we've done that a couple of times since then. Nice. And and for both of you, since you're playing with you know each other and so many other people, is this is the the visual disability the uh, the only disability that you're pretty consistently working with, or is there uh, anything else that your group has to keep in mind? Uh, I believe uh, vision has been the only um, disability okay. that we uh, we've worked worked with. Um, we have another player who. Uh, plays in our uh, uh, Horror on the Orient Express campaign and mm-hmm. in our uh, 40K uh, Only War campaign, who is also visually impaired. That's awesome. And it, it seems like playing on the computer gives you access to a lot of tools that you would not necessarily have at the table. To some degree, yes. Uh, it's more common for people to be using dice rollers and, and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, and of course, everybody's already at their computers, so uh, you don't have that uh, uh, sort of distinguishing factor at the table. But it's uh, it's generally uh, the uh, 
a similar experience, I found. Okay, cool. When you first started playing, I know you mentioned Roll20 and that being an experience. What were some of the tools that you that you both tried when you first started these games? We used Hangouts pretty consistently. We only really use Roll20 for our Pathfinder game because that's the only game that really requires grid-based combat. Mm-hmm. And that that one has been a bit of a challenge for me because I run that game and it's made me be a lot more uh, descriptive on where things are on the map. I'm still not super great at it, but it also helps um, for the podcast because they're not looking at the map either. So uh, oh, being yeah. really descriptive with that um, has helped a bit, I think, even though I still don't think I'm that great at it 50 <laughs> sessions in. Rise of the Rune Lords is really long. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> It's a learning process. It's something that I, I feel like when I'm having something described to me, I can I can sit there and go, oh, well, you know, you should have done this. You you know, it would help if I knew that sort of thing. But when it's my turn, it's everything just leaves my brain. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like, why, why can't you just envision exactly what I'm envisioning? What's wrong? That's really interesting. That definitely is a challenge with more tactical games that rely very close, uh, very specifically on spatial orientation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, why I favor uh, games that are far more abstract about those sorts of things. <laughs> so you've played clearly a lot of different types of games. What do you look for when you're going to play a new game? Like when you hear a game described, I guess, you know, what, what are some keywords to you that lets you know, oh, this is going to be something that I will enjoy, that I can experience? Um, EPUB. <laughs> EPUB. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, Pelgrain Press does uh, an awesome job of putting out different formats for their games, so that's always been something that's uh, uh, been really cool for us uh, because of uh, the inherent accessibility challenges that Mm -hmm. uh, surround PDF content. But uh, I think the thing that really draws us to a game is a concept that has a more of a narrative focus and Mm -hmm. uh, isn't quite uh, about doing a whole lot of math every three minutes. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so we we sort of... um, uh, our podcast's focus is uh, largely on investigative role-playing games and uh, cipher system and cipher system mm. uh, uh, things with you know uh, uh, a lot of different activities for characters to pursue and sort of you know well character stuff. Okay. When you pick a new game, are, are there steps that you know you're going to have to take to make it playable? Generally, the first step is uh, hey, that's on sale at Drive Through. <laughs> um. Usually it boils down to a, a discussion between the two of us as to uh, whether we think we have a group that would like to play this game uh, and that would be sort of have as a dynamic that would work with the, the sort of party that we would want to run a, in a game like this. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we both look at the book, and uh, if it's something that looks um, inherently more accessible, I'm usually more in favor of running it or sometimes making... Uh, says, I, I really want to put people through this. So, <laughs> so she takes over. But um, we've definitely had uh, some, time, some instances where I've uh, sat down with something and went, I really want to run this. And then I open it up and I say, Megan, you should run this. <laughs> I'll just pretend like I didn't read the first five pages. Teamwork. Yeah. Well, so the first thing you usually do is run the PDF through OCR. Um, yeah, so we have a couple of cool. different techniques for doing this. Um, there's a great app for uh, the iPhone, which will uh, uh, basically strip the text out of a PDF and just play it as audio. Mm. Um, so that makes for a good way to really skim a book really quickly. 
And then if it sounds like something that would be uh, fun uh, to run, I will go ahead and import it through a program that I got for school a long time ago. And uh, actually, for uh, amazingly, for assistive technology, it doesn't cost a fortune to keep up to date. Uh, that uh, performs uh, optical character recognition, and uh, I'll uh, I'll read it that way. Uh, from there, that's that's usually the the resource I'll use while running the game. Awesome. If there's any of the resources that you use that you can or feel comfortable actually naming, uh, I think it would be great to have those in the show notes. Oh sure. Mm. Uh, well. Um, so to review stuff, uh, sort of on the go or quickly, whenever I have a moment, I use a uh, voice dream reader for the, for iOS, mm-hmm. um, which is an app that, uh, is supposed to you know, help with uh, speed reading and reading comprehension and, uh, um, print disability, accessibility, that kind of thing. Uh, and then I use a far more expensive program, uh, on the <laughs> PC called, uh, Kurzweil 1000, which, uh, does the OCR and can output the files in a couple of different formats. Oh, fantastic. And this actually ties into one of the listener questions that we got from Jeff Herbert, who is, or Hebert, sorry, uh, who is uh, interested in playing more tabletop games and is also blind. And his question was, if uh, are there any tabletop game handbooks available in searchable ebooks, or is there a resource for finding out? Uh, and it sounds like Drive Through RPG is is a great place to start. Uh, yes. So uh, a lot of books uh, that uh, you can purchase uh, through Drive Through RPG are pretty well tagged PDFs that are easy to navigate. And as I said, like Pelgrain and I think Evil Hat too, um, mm-hmm. uh, and Bully Pulpit and a couple of other publishers are actually very good about offering their books in like EPUB and Mobi and a whole bunch of other formats that are easily uh, navigated with a uh, with uh, ebook software that's uh, accessible. So I didn't have to run like Knights Black Agents through OCR because I got you know they let you download an EPUB version and it's <laughs> actually um, you know it's uh, it's bookmark structure and it's uh, it's chapter headings are all uh, actually. Um, where they're supposed to be. So awesome. Um, you know, I can jump from the, uh, opposing force chapter to the list of vampire powers and then go, everyone goes blind for five minutes. (laughs) Oh wait, that, that, that one, that was a bad choice on my part. (laughs) That did happen. So it sounds like it's a matter of, of just kind of knowing the publishers right now. Like there's, there's no repository quite yet or, uh, or a resource saying, Hey, here's where all the, all the good EPUBs live. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know of a, a good resource for accessible um, mm-hmm. game systems, but that's something to look into, I guess. Yeah. Future project. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I- it's a bit time consuming, but um, you know, the, with the SRDs for all the D20 based stuff available online, it's not mm-hmm. impossible to build a character that way. It just is a bit time consuming. Yeah. So, how do you tackle like character sheets? So, all, all these books are EPUB, but how about the materials? So, usually, the character sheets we use end up just being raw text files because they're they're easy to transport and to move mm-hmm. between applications, and they're tiny. So, when I accidentally mm-hmm. forget to uh, download a character sheet, I can quickly uh, take care of that, or like you know recreate them on the fly. Uh, but uh, yeah, usually uh, we just uh, handwrite or, you know, well, just uh, create them um, mm-hmm. using uh, Notepad. Oh, wow. I mean, you know, it's not the prettiest thing in the world, but it gets the job <laughs> yeah. done. Yeah, that's what's important. And is that something everybody in your games, is that how they do their character sheets? 
Um, usually when it's, uh, uh, important to know uh, stuff about characters, uh, I will, mm-hmm. uh, ask Megan to do that for me. Uh, and she's been, uh, very generous about being very patient about, uh, <laughs> uh transcribing a bunch of characters. <laughs> it's like she likes you or something. <laughs> something. Yeah, something like that. Cool. Um, how do you keep all of that organized, especially when you're the one running the game? I don't. <laughs> I awesome. like to run like I tend to run pre-written things, and when I write out my own things, they're very well documented and planned. And he runs almost everything off the cuff, which is a GM style that works with him, and then doesn't require a lot of note looking up. Uh, wow, yes. uh, I'm very much a um, let's make it up as we go kind of person, which means that uh, my Knights Black Agents games tend to be a bit violent um, <laughs> as I. Go. Wait a minute. Uh, I gotta, I've got to uh, uh, lay down some railroad in front of you guys. Hang on here, fight some vampires. <laughs> for um, but uh, I usually try to keep things in the same file for a particular session, and then I'll create bookmarks for that file so that I can jump to a character that I need for a particular encounter. But uh, so much of what I do is just made up on the fly that. Uh, I don't have a system for a lot of that, and I have several Dropbox folders that are littered, littered with random characters. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I, I feel a lot better about my lack of organization now, too. <laughs> yeah, so sometimes you go, just go digging around for something, and you're like, I need to find a, uh, a brown coat sympathizer with a shoot rating for this Firefly yeah. game. I didn't find that, but I found this hacker who could make your life a whole lot more interesting than that guy could have. <laughs> Oh, boy. One of Jeff's other questions, actually, was about the the rest of the paraphernalia that you may be using for a game. Um, And he's curious about dice. So we talked a little bit, like, we mentioned dice rollers, um, but he asked particularly about dice with raised numbers or braille numbers. So um, there was a Kickstarter about two years ago um, Mm -hmm. from a college student who actually gamed with uh, a, a visually impaired friend. Uh, who wanted to 3D print Braille dice. And so she designed a full polyhedral set, uh, which she now sells uh, through Shapeways. Uh, oh, nice. So they're, they're a bit um, weird because they're, they're actually hollow. But, oh, uh, they, it makes them cheaper. Yeah, uh, mm. it makes them a lot cheaper. And so a, uh, a polyhedral set is 50 bucks. So it's not <laughs> it's not Chesix cheap, mm-hmm. um, but uh, they are you know they are custom printed, uh, and uh, that's what we use. Um, we have uh, a full set and a cup you know enough to run pretty much anything that we uh, uh, we own, uh, which yeah. you know, in- includes uh, one roll and uh, World of Darkness. So lots of detents. There's a lot of detents. <laughs> so some companies. Uh, also make D6s, which are uh, oversized and have tactile um, pips. Mm. And then there are uh, there are some... Is it Chesix that makes the oversized D20? Um, I, I think don't they remember. have one. They have the oversized D6 that we got. We have a 50mm oh. D6. <laughs> it's really oh big. Oh my god. <laughs> but um, the pips are also really big, so you can feel them. <laughs> That's yes. so cool. also puts the fear of God in my players. When I <laughs> Um, so, um, yeah, the, uh, uh, Megan actually found a D6 in the collar of the dice, uh, the first Chesix set I gave her. So she gave me one dice that weighs, (laughs) or one die that weighs more than 
all of the dice in her set put together. <laughs> oh, and, that's so, cute. Very cute. Do you prefer them to dice rollers? I do, simply because there's a, a tangible quality to uh, rolling dice that I think is lacking in the sheer randomness of, of a dice rolling app. Yeah. Uh, JSDice.com, though, uh, makes a very nice uh, JavaScript dice roller that's, that's pretty accessible if anybody is in need. Oh, yeah. We'll add that to the list. I think Jeff also had some interest in Edge of the Empire, which has their own custom dice, um, which I I know I've seen a roller or two online. It would be interesting to see how well they work with yeah. like a screen reader, for example. Yeah, I, I haven't encountered... Or I haven't experimented with any of the uh, Edge of the Empire dice rollers, um, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, because those are a, um, a copyrighted dice pattern, I don't think you could just reproduce them for, um, you know, you couldn't just make Braille versions. I don't think um, without encountering some <laughs> complications. Yeah, um, yeah, you'd you'd have to change them in some way. Yeah, something else to consider, I guess. Yeah. Lots of project ideas for heroes that are listening to this episode. (laughs) Get on it. So what else have you encountered? Um, Tools that have worked particularly well or um, that have been maybe lacking for some reason that we could give more project ideas, I guess, (laughs) about? I don't know. We haven't done very much with tactile grids, the um, because we have we play so few games in person. Uh. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Sixty-four ounce games, which is a company that makes uh, kits to make board games accessible. So they have a lot Mm -hmm. of different board games. We bought kits for like Munchkin and Dominion and um, Love Letter, and we just put Lost Cities together. They're actually Mm. um, working on uh, using um, a computer-controlled milling machine to uh, and uh, one of those plastic thermoform machines to produce uh, tactile grids. Um, oh, very cool. Which uh, hopefully will be uh, able to make uh, those sorts of uh, miniature-based games a, a bit more accessible. Yeah, that's cool. And, and they do a lot of kits, like you mentioned, where they... It's it's the card sleeves, right? Where they add the Braille to the, to the card yeah, sleeve so you can so play like Dominion. Cool. They emboss uh, stickers that you cut out and then stick on the card sleeves and... Uh, they also use QR codes. Um, yeah, so like for Munchkin, oh. they have QR codes that you stick on the card, and then all they have to do is read them using an accessible QR reader, which there's plenty of. Mm-hmm. And so they have a whole bunch of kits, and they've done their own dice as well, but those ones have been more uh, molded, and they're really big and really heavy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've held one of those D20s, and you could you could do some damage with that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, they're so intimidating. So I guess speaking of Braille, uh, is is there any place for that in tabletop gaming? Any any use that you could think of? Or does it, is it sort of the, the cost outweighs the usefulness there? Um, if you have access to Braille, it can be very useful. Uh, the um, uh, I have used a, uh, a Braille note taker. So, uh, so basically, uh, imagine a, a PDA from about... Uh, 10, mm. 15 years ago uh, with a Braille display attached to it. Um, yeah. And uh, those, you know, I, I can use one of those uh, to uh, have notes uh, readily available. And uh, I have done that in a couple of sessions when I actually bothered to plan. Uh, <laughs> so that was occasionally useful. Um, there are, you know, a lot of people that review character sheets. Um, 
in you know using a braille display. But uh, specifically as a gaming accessory, it's a bit much. Um, you know, the, yeah. the average forty cell braille display costs three thousand dollars. There are newer braille displays that uh, are uh, entering the uh, marketplace in the next year, which are cheaper. Um, yeah, you know, uh, twenty cells for five hundred dollars, let's say, and yeah. uh, um, something similar uh, along the way. You know, along those lines is going to be coming around uh, hopefully soon after. Have Have you read about that tablet? Uh, yes, the what is it Michigan working on University of Michigan? I think Orbit Research and APH are. Yeah, it has uh, thousands of pins, um, so it can actually produce uh, tactile maps uh, and like even even things like topographic maps because it has uh, the ability to um, have variable degrees of um, of shading for the pins can go to varying mm-hmm. degrees. So it it sounds really cool and it uses a, a different kind of braille technology. I get or. Uh, Braille cell technology, which is not cost prohibitive to do something like that. So, yeah, that, that's pretty cool. Very cool. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what comes of that. So, tips for folks who are out there designing games. Uh, what are what are some things they should keep in mind aside from EPUB? <laughs> yeah, EPUB. Uh, don't forget the EPUB. Uh, the um, I, it's I can understand why it's useful to have, but colored icons or any sort of graphical indicator about uh, the applicability of a rule or sort of a key to refer to something else, those are things that are completely lost to screen readers. So Ah. um, I've said lots of nice things about Pelgrane, so I will say something that uh, (laughs) there's um, Knights Black Agents has different modes. Uh, So, you know, you have your, your super bleak and uh, unrelenting mode where like everyone's going to go crazy because of the terrible things that you've done. Uh, and then there's like the, the mirrors mode where everyone is actually in the conspiracy out to get you. And then there's, you know, some, there, there are more uh, action or pulpy variants or like the, you know, the 007 style game. Uh, so there are actually optional rules for all of these different variants scattered throughout the book all of which are denoted by a symbol next to them. Um, mm. I have no idea which of those is which, <laughs> so I just kind of picked and chose. And I hope Ken, <laughs> I hope Ken Height will forgive me. <laughs> well, I hope he, he better. I, I hope he forgives me for the general train wreck that I turned his game into. But <laughs> wasn't a train wreck. Yeah, there, there you know, there, there are there are other things I guess I should be asking for forgiveness for before that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, That's so, fine. He'll get over it. Yeah, I'm sure. He has all those eddies. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but uh, the um, uh, that that would be a big thing. Is like uh, anytime you try to signal to people that this rule applies here, or this uh, uh, this is uh, some sort of characteristic that is uh, uh, specific to this class or this region or this anything. Um, mm-hmm. That sort of you know it, it saves on word count. I'm sure, but. If there was some other way for, um, you know, to, to clue people in on that, I, I would really appreciate it. Yeah, there's, I know there's a kind of a rule of thumb in design, especially with games, that if there's something important you need to convey, you indicate it twice 
like in two different ways. So traditionally, I think we would, uh, designers would think of, oh, we'll indicate it with color. That's one way. And then like the shape of the icon would be the second way. We've done it. We've, we've <laughs> conveyed it in two ways and we made it happen. So like that does fit the rule, but then that doesn't take into account a screen reader or, you know, something like that. So I think maybe we should update that rule. And at least one of those ways that you're conveying the information should maybe be textually. Yeah, but we checked off that box. <laughs> nice, yeah. So that 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 I think is one thing where I'm like, I, I think I'm missing something here. Yeah, uh, <laughs> just make it up; it's fine. Yeah, well, that's, that's how just I, house rules. That's how mm-hmm. I do everything. <laughs> yeah, we are all about house rules. It's fine. <laughs> I think I saw that rule on page 392, but I have a game to run. <laughs> I have so much data ruin. Come on. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, uh, something else, I'm not sure what causes it, but the way you do layout in books, um, sometimes if optical character recognition is run on a multi-column text, uh, it's theoretically able to recognize the the different blocks of text and sort them accordingly. It doesn't. <laughs> um, so if uh, in the course of producing a um, you know your your page layout. If you were to run it through like OmniPage or Fine Reader or something like that and see what exactly happens to the text, uh, you might be surprised how the very neat rows end up becoming garbled in very funny ways. <laughs> An example of this we've run into recently is with the Warhammer 40k books. Um, oh gosh. <laughs> um, which I, I'm, I'm sure have tr- a tremendously great production values, but Occasionally, I was I would read a chapter, uh, and there would be some very gruesome descriptions of uh, violence in one place, and then all of a sudden they'd be talking about gruesome things happening in another place. And I'm like, I understand that there's there in the future there is only war, but could you at least organize it. Better? You know, what am I supposed to be terrified about on this chapter or in this yeah. page? Uh, that that's uh, that's something that you know it, it it's um, might not be obvious an obvious thing to look out for, but it, can really impede uh, the ability of some people to access the books. And I guess putting out PDFs in the first place is a really great place to start. Because if you don't have a PDF at all, Acer can't access it at all, and then we're really unlikely to buy your game to try it out. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I should should say that the... um, you know that that is a really big thing. Is I, I can I can bemoan the accessibility of PDF. So, um, but just being able to sit there and actually engage with the material at all is uh, something that uh, up to uh, less than uh, ten years ago, for most of these games, would not have been possible. So, uh, I guess I am I am a bit spoiled and <laughs> should recognize that. Thank you, Megan. No, I think they should all be more accessible. <laughs> Me too. If they're already taking the step to put the PDF out, which is great. Thank you for doing that. I, I appreciate it too. Just take another step and run it through a reader. See what happens. Yes. <laughs> which I'm very impressed that you found that in the with the Warhammer book with the disjointed hellscape future that it is. It's uh, <laughs> it's very impressive. So you two, was this your first Gen Con that you were just at? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Me too. It was very, very huge. Yeah, it was, the exhibit hall was really overwhelming. <laughs> I, I remember at the end of uh, Thursday saying, I seem to recall, uh, Megan, that we said we were going to buy two things. And she said we were never going to just buy two things. <laughs> that was never true. We bought, like, at least two things a day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, two things every day. That sounds right. 
do you do other cons or is this kind of the is this one of the first gaming cons that you've done uh, we went to a con called GeeklyCon in June, which is a geeky podcasting network that was sort of both of our first experience, well, it was at least my first experience into geeky podcasting. They do Drunks and Dragons and Cthulhu mm. and Friends. Okay. Um, so we went to their little con for their community because it was on our coast this year. And then we're planning on going to OrcaCon in the... Uh, in January, which has a focus this year actually on accessibility and diversity in gaming. So we're pretty excited about that if we can get it to work out with our schedules. Oh, awesome. Now that you are uh, seasoned con veterans having <laughs> survived a Gen Con, what is attending one of these cons like? Um, what do you have to keep in mind or or what can what can cons do to make that experience easier? Um, let's That's see. a lot of question, yes, I know. Yeah. <laughs> How do con? Yes. I don't know. I think it all boils down to sitting down and really figuring out what you want to do at a con. Because uh, not only can you not do everything, but you can't do nearly as much as you think you can when you just uh, sort of look over the schedule and decide, I will go to these things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not possible. But uh, that said, you know, um, I think for an event... As massive as Gen Con is, they are remarkably well tuned to uh, to facilitate that. Um, nice. Then again, I had I had Megan to follow around wherever, <laughs> so uh, I, I kind of had an advantage. They we, did have a line for people with disabilities, so that you didn't have to wait in the huge will call line. Um, oh, okay. That we learned about because someone stopped us when we were trying to find our way through the will call line and told us. <laughs> Um, which was really nice. And Acer was going to bring along a solid cane, but he ended up bringing up one of his folding canes um, because he was afraid about it surviving all the people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, flying with a solid cane brings its own challenges, so it's just sort of a deciding which ones you want to deal with. Oh, I had no idea. Do they give you grief through security with that? Or? Oh, no. Okay. You're just um, storing it on just, the oh, just yeah, that, yeah, that's true too. <laughs> there are just some logistical issues. Well, cool. I'm I'm glad that it was a good experience in that regard. And you were running games at the con too, right? As well as playing. Well, we we actually didn't play in any games. We ran uh, Delta Green, oh. Numenera, and The Strange, and we demoed Strange and uh, the Cipher System rules for uh, Monty Cook. Uh, so mm. we had something to do game related. Uh, yeah. <laughs> every day. That was our first experience in that sort of massive ballroom gaming uh, environment. I, I know you're not a prep person, but did you do any prep for running those games at Gen Con? Oh, yes. For those. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, for uh, those, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, um, uh, we, we wrote uh, scenarios for, uh, for all three. In fact, for our Game of the Strange, we had 24 players across four tables with four GMs for six hours. It was, oh, uh, you were in one of those. Yeah, so we ran an interlocking story where if you translated for to another uh, recursion, then you switch which table you were sitting at and who was GMing you. Oh, that's so cool. It ended up, it was really complicated and overwhelming to prep for, but it actually turned out really cool. We were really excited about it. They didn't die. <laughs> awesome. Good job. Are you able to get away with just using uh, the, the your typical tools on a laptop when you run games like that at a con, or uh, how does that work? 
So I actually ended up running the game off my phone um, hmm. and uh, just actually uh, using what was it? Just like the the stock notes app and uh, the and Scrivener. Oh wow! Um, just imported the files and, and would jump from one to the one to the other, and it, that was enough because uh, uh, we tried these uh, scenarios out a couple of times before, and uh, it just was basically just an outline. What happens next? Oh yeah. Uh, they find this. They find this. Monster stats. I need monster stats. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's, uh, it was the, the equivalent of, you know, three by five cards, basically. Uh, and Excellent. we, we use the same, uh, I use the same braille dice that I used all the time. <laughs> Any of the big scary dice or just the regular? <laughs> no, okay. just nice. <laughs> just, okay. <laughs> okay. You'll, you'll be, you'll be nice to these strangers who want to try this game out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That's kind of you. Everyone that you played with, they were cool oh. about everything? Like, Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to put Gen Con on blast here. Just want to make sure everybody <laughs> was good. Yeah. Uh, everybody was very good. Cool. And, uh, it sounded like most folks had a lot of fun, so uh, that uh, was a success all around, I'd say. Awesome. Friend of the show, Maddie Ray, sent a couple of questions, too. And she's curious, first of all, about what are some ways sighted players can assist less sighted or blind players with respect to their autonomy during sessions? Um, I know there was one point where I turned to someone and someone went, they're not there anymore. That was useful. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. Make everyone wear a bell. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, uh, you know, just, uh, speaking up and making sure that everyone is aware of what's going on, communicating clearly and make, you know, um, just facilitating communication around the table. I, I, I tried to make clear when I was running a game, I'm not going to see you if you like, Stood up and waved your hands in the air. I, it's entirely possible I might not notice. So you know, uh, just make sure every everyone is is on the same page about everything. Don't, don't be the guy that's like, I, I wanted to talk to the goblins. Um, <laughs> but you know, that sort of thing. It sort of helps everybody. You know, get what they want out of the game. I think. I think that's just a good policy. Generally, is you know, just try to make sure that, that everybody around you is is being heard and having fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a collaborative storytelling experience, right? So everybody should be working together on this. And uh, let's see. Uh, Megan, anything? Uh, well, I was thinking helping them find dice that escape. But Easter uses uh, dice trays for his dice, which keeps them to a more confined area, so they're harder mm. for them to escape. Yeah, so that 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 I guess is uh, something that you know would be useful. Uh, errant dice are uh, are kind of a bane of my existence, so <laughs> I've taken as many me uh, measures as I can to uh, to mitigate that. Awesome, and I think a little bit of it I may have talked about with Elsa too, but for for Maddie, I uh, I think just making sure you're communicating with those players, like do they want your assistance with something? Would they? Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's that's. Uh, that's really important, and that's something that you know, uh, well-meaning as it might be, sometimes your your assistance is actually going to um, be more of a hindrance uh, to some people, or, or you know, occasionally taken the wrong way. Yeah, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. So that having that dialogue at the table is is good for so so many reasons. Um, that being one of them. Communicate, um, everyone. Yay. <laughs> Uh, she also would like to know uh, your thoughts on if it would be possible to hack specific visual and kinetic mechanics in games. And she uses Dread, for example, for blind gamers. Games like that. Do you do you have any thoughts on 
making those accessible or huh i've never tried dread um yeah. but <laughs> that one might be a bit difficult hmm. i'm trying to think of other um she uses visual or kinetic so i can think of lots of visual things maps uh and the like which we talked a little bit about which can be kind of hard especially if you're playing online but i know there are some things to try if you're playing in person but um other kinetic mechanics i'm having I'm drawing uh, a blank on. In Kobolds Ate My Baby, you have to do some physical things to cast mm. spells if you're casting a spell. So I think if, what was it, for to stay invisible? The you have, thing. Well, you have to hold your breath for one of them, right? Oh, While God. you're invisible for it to hold. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, mm. and, but we were playing that online, so that was hard <laughs> for us to tell if anyone was actually doing the physical things. There's one where you had to, like, hold your hand in the air, so it made it hard to roll dice. Um, <laughs> I can't remember all the spells. We paid, played that, like, a year ago. But I think just for that, it'd be, like, vocally indicating what you're doing. Yeah. Um, or finding a way to make a noise while you're doing it would work. Oh, that would be that would be so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to think of how to fix Dread. Playing Jenga stresses me out too bad, and I can <laughs> and I can kind of see what I'm doing. So I just mm, no. I would be that one player who just like pushes it over just to make it stop. Like <laughs> I can't. Maybe you could have like a like starting at the beginning of the game. You have to roll under a ninety, and as the game gets on, the as the risk increases as the tower falling over, you just oh. increase the likelihood that you're gonna fail your roll. Oh, that could be cool. That's because. <laughs> Most games like that where you're, like, trying to stack something, a lot of it is super visual. Yeah. Mm. And in order to tactically fill out what's going on, you're probably going to knock over the tower. Yep. You'll just always be that character who dies. (laughs) There's a certain amount of fame in that. Just own it. Yeah, you're being helpful. Uh, And she also wanted to know, uh, what are your thoughts on possible privacy workarounds for reader software um, that doesn't involve headphones or lots of money? Um, If if that's something that you've encountered? Um, Let's see. That doesn't involve headphones or lots of money. Um, Headphones is always my (laughs) go-to. Yeah, uh, headphones is usually where I default to. If it's not something too lengthy, you, you can have something actually produced in Braille, you know, actual hard copy Braille for mm. a couple of bucks, you know, like a character sheet or something. Uh, aside from that, I, I really am, am sort of um, at a loss at yeah. the moment. Um, she's got some really tough questions. Yeah, <laughs> man. But yeah, I, I uh, Megan uh, was really nice to me <laughs> and didn't throw me out of the house for buying a, a used Braille embosser. Um, oh. <laughs> I want to experiment with for uh, creating character sheets. But, yeah, for something like that, um, a print job that small would probably be like $10, I would say, something like, or something, uh, if you nice. were, if you found the right people to do it for you. <laughs> Which is always, you know, because there, there are a lot of, like, little, um, in, in, in many communities, there are, um, non-profits or, uh, mm. uh, people, uh, institutions who will, uh, allow you to use their Braille production. Uh, facilities for small and for nominal fees. Very cool. I wonder uh, some of the smaller communities, like if they've ever seen anything like that before, you know, like, like a, a Dungeons and Dragons character sheet or something comes through. <laughs> like what, what do I do with this? Like, yeah, no, Maddie, Maddie brought the hard questions and I was just, 
Well, Easter's a good person to ask because he does adaptive technology instruction, so he knows about all the cool things. Ooh, awesome. I'll have to pick your brain for our uh, our accessibility resource list and see what else we can put on there. Can do. That people can access. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So what are some of your favorite games for accessibility? For accessibility? Um, you did write an article about Cypher System. <laughs> I did say Cypher System was a uh, blind GM's best friend because... Cypher doesn't require rolling. Monsters effectively have, like, two stats. Or I guess three. Difficulty level, health, and armor. Their abilities kind of just flow from their level. And and you don't roll anything. So um, you you can just concentrate on uh, seeing what uh, decisions the players make. And how you can turn that against them. (laughs) I mean, create a good story. Hmm. Um, you know, th- things like um, range increments and damage levels are all fixed and very abstract, so you don't have to uh, stop gameplay while you try to figure out uh, the calculus about, you know, falling damage. So I like that uh, quite a bit. Gumshoe games are very nice and only require D6 to play and have a very... Um, cool point economy that's easy to track. And uh, we play a lot of uh, Call of Cthulhu descended games. And, uh, oh, and of course, you know, anything like Rules Light is usually more accessible, just, you know, as a rule. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so one of our favorite games is Final Girl, which just uses a deck of cards mechanic. And so Braille cards are pretty easy to come across if you know where to look, I guess. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um. Or you can use online decks, too. Um, but awesome. we like those really light story, different games, the much more simple mechanic. Not too simple, though. We do like there to be at least something random in there. <laughs> yeah. And you guys play a lot of Firefly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, um, is, which is not necessarily light, but you've made it work. It's fairly light. I forget about a lot of rules. That makes it rules light. <laughs> yeah. House rules. <laughs> House rules. <laughs> so anything else you can think of that we should give a shout out to, either a tool or a game uh, that would that might be helpful? I think we've covered pretty much everything I can think of. What's the weirdest thing that's happened to you in a game because of lack of vision? Uh, I narrated something without looking at someone, and uh, and they were like, oh, they're not. They, they just walked away from the table. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, <laughs> someone tell them what happened to their character after, you know, when they get back. Well, there's one time when we went to GeeklyCon, someone never even realized you were blind who had gamed with us a couple of times. <laughs> oh. Oh, that's happened a couple of times. Yeah. Um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, because I, I, uh, I usually just, when we're on Hangouts, I just turn on the camera off because, well, you know. Yeah. You, I, can't, I can't see you. You don't get to see me. <laughs> um, that feels fair. Yeah. But, uh, yes, some folks who have been surprised a couple of months uh, into uh, talking on the internet that I can't see. Um, <laughs> guess they don't check my Twitter bio. <laughs> yeah, it's right there. It's right there, yeah. Well, now they know. Cool. Well, speaking of Twitter, where can we find you both on the internet? I'm at Acer underscore Tolentino. That's A-S-E-R-T-O-L-E-N-T-I-N-O. Um, and I'm at Curium247, uh, C-U-R-I-U-M. And then we're both at TRF Podcasts and occasionally at Firefly Podcasts, but Rob mostly want, runs that one. <laughs> okay. I wondered who was behind that one. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think this is Megan or Acer. Well, thank you both so much. This has been awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Acer really loves uh, accessibility and gaming, so we're always happy to talk about it. <laughs> I complain about it a lot. <laughs> 
I hear about it a lot, so I want everyone else to share in the experience. Yeah, well, if you don't complain about it, then people won't know that they have projects to work on. Yep. Wink, wink. Huge thanks again to Acer and Megan for being on the show and letting me pry into their process. You can find their links as well as links to all the tools we mentioned in the show notes. Just a reminder, there is an accessibility resource list on the modifier Tumblr that will be updated with these tools as well. Additionally, if you have anything you'd like to suggest to be added to the list, or if you have any suggestions or questions for other accessibility shows you'd like to hear from modifier, please let me know. There's so much more to be done. That's it for this week, heroes. You can find Modifier on Twitter at Modifier Podcast or at the headquarters at modifierpodcast.tumblr.com. You can send comments, questions, or contribution suggestions to modifierpodcast at gmail.com. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes as that helps more people find us. Modifier is a proud member of the One Shot Podcast Network, an amazing family of RPG podcasts that includes incredible shows like One Shot, Campaign, Backstory, and Talking Tabletop. Modifier's theme music was created by my favorite Bothan, Cat Greenfield, whose myriad talents are on display at catgreenfield.com. Next time on Modifier, Jeffrey, Troy, and Darcy fill me in on multi-table convention games. See you then!